The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. I get this email out of the blue, and it was a PS. I, I can think I can remember it word for word. Lord Hutton has noted in the national press that you keep a written diary. He would like to see this diary insofar as it relates to the matters under his investigation. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, it really was like one of those moments. I just couldn't quite believe that was happening. Hello, I'm Kevin Poulter, and on today's podcast, we welcome Alistair Campbell. Alistair's a journalist, a campaigner, and perhaps most famously, Tony Blair's former head of communications. We talked to Alistair about his early career in the media and his move into politics. Uh, he's got a great deal of experience of both lawyers working with them, uh, alongside them, and being advised by them, and his experiences of the legal system. At a time of political turmoil such as Iran, it was fascinating to hear his thoughts on the role of the courts uh, alongside the government and the media in trying to bring some truth out of politics, truth out of the Brexit debate particularly, and his own campaigning around the people's vote. He's perhaps got more insight than anyone into what government should be doing and really what the current government might be doing wrong. The Hearing Alistair Campbell, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, we're here to talk about lawyers. Okay. And you have, on the face of it, very little connection to the law, but hopefully as we sort of work through some of these questions that I've pre-prepared, we'll get to sort of the heart of the matter and your relationship with lawyers and the law. Um, but I want to talk, first of all, about you being born in Keithley. Yeah. I, that's come as a surprise to me. Because? Uh, because, the, because of Burnley. Yeah, but when I was growing up in Keithley, which is... In West Yorkshire, as you know. It is, um, it is. I know, it, I know very well. From? No, it's not. But where my other from? half's from Wilsdon, right, which is just near. around the corner. Well, my dad was a vet in Keithley, so he was, Wilsdon was part of his patch. Um, but Burnley were 19, 20 miles away. Um, and we left there when I was 11, but I just have always been obsessed with Burnley. Mm. In fact, the further away I've gone from Burnley and from the north, because we moved to Leicester, then I went to Cambridge, then I moved to London... So I've not lived in Yorkshire since I was 11, but Burnley is, you know, it's a big part of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As are bagpipes. Bagpipes are a big part of my life, but yeah. But not Scottish. Well, I sort of am Scottish. I consider myself to be British and Scottish and European. And European, of course. <laughs> um, but definitely British. And I don't, I, I'm much more Scottish than English. Um, and is that a mentality or is yeah, that... Yes, my parents, it's my upbringing. I mean, it is the fact, I mean, my dad was uh, um, from the Hebrides. Gaelic speaker. My mum was from Ayrshire. Uh, I've always felt very Scottish. I mm. just, you know, and it's quite strange because, of course, when I was at school in Leicester, my, my bro- both my brother and brothers and I, we arrived mid-term in in school at Leicester, and we were all because of, I played the bagpipes. My brother Donald played the bagpipes. How original! We were all <laughs> nicknamed Jock, right? <laughs> so in England, I've been considered Scottish, and of course, I go to Scotland, and they think I'm English. So anyway, uh, but I'm, I feel my Scottish heritage very, very strongly. Uh, good, good. Uh, well, um, that, that might become more of an important issue as we go on through the years. Um, but I want to talk, you talked about your upbringing and uh, your dad's vet. Um, where did the politics come into the family? I don't really know because there, there is a Labour MP way, way, way back on my mum's side, but a long way back. Mm. Um, and both my parents were civic I'd say, mm. but not necessarily very political. Um, I think they're devoted different ways at different times mm. in their lives. 
and certainly were, I think, surprised that my life took the course that it did. Um, and also, I wasn't that political when I was at university. I was a bit of a kind of drop, not a dropout, but I was I was a bit of a waster at university. I was just wasting my time and drinking too much and messing about too much. Um, going to Burnley a lot, which is quite a long <laughs> way from Cambridge. Yeah, spending and, spending all the grand. Yeah. Uh, and But I think the politics in me, I think I do have a... Even though I was actually from quite a... You know, as you say, my dad was a vet. It's a kind of middle-class upbringing. Mm. But I always identified very much, I think, with the kind of poorer people, not against richer people, but if if there was a class war divide, I know which side I felt my heart was. Mm. And I feel that Cambridge radicalised me in a way because I think that I came across people, I just, honestly, I didn't know that sort of people existed. <laughs> you know, people like, I mean, who could we mention? Boris Johnson, yeah. Jacob Rees-Mogg, David yeah. Cameron, I mean, George Osborne. So, you know, the private school boys. I, I just didn't know people like that. Mm. And um, and then I think what happened was I became a journalist. I, I, I sort of, I, I slobbed around the world busking for a year with my yeah. bagpipes. I, I was going to interject here because um, what I think I read about was the Riviera Romeo. Gigolo. Gigolo. Oh, my mm. mistake. Sorry. Yeah. Gigolo. Much, <laughs> much more apt. Well, that was a bet. <laughs> what that, well, I'll tell you the story of that. Um, I had a bet with a friend. We, I did languages at university mm. and that meant a year abroad and I was in Nice. Go on, say it. What everybody says. Nice. No, well, I wasn't going to be that obvious. <laughs> That's um, what people always say. I had a year in Nice. I'd have offered oh, you a biscuit nice. had we had one, yeah. but um, certainly not. And I had a bet with a friend of mine about who could get into print first. We both started thinking we're going to be writers, right? And so he wrote this uh, very learned series of articles about the cultural impact of the Tour de France on French psyche or something. Okay. And I thought, mm, I'll write a bit of soft porn. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, I, and I got it published like within a month. Yeah, and that was that was that English or was that in French? In English, in yeah, English. Okay, yeah. well, I explained. I the, sent um, it to Forum, Penthouse, Mayfair, and Forum wow. bought a load of it. Wow. Yeah. It also explains the uh, shortlisting for the Bad Sex Award, Possibly. which came later. Um, so, uh, so, so, straight into media. Uh, via, By the way, it was bad sex in print. It wasn't bad sex. <laughs> it's not <laughs> a bad sex award. Okay, it's bad sex. That sounds like a clarification you've yeah, made yeah, before. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so for, for into media, uh, and again, not a not an obvious, not an easy no. uh, job to get into. Much like the law, um, did that come through penthouse? No, not well. It, I've always written, uh, and even as a child, I used to write a lot, but. I don't know why I wanted to be a journalist, to be honest. Mm. I think, you know, and, and I mean, here's the thing. I honestly can't remember. I don't even know how I know that mm. there was this thing called the Mirror Group Training Scheme. I must have mm. found out about it and applied for it, but I don't know how. And it was very, very, very hard to get onto. It was yeah. like, I think there were over a thousand applicants for, I think it was nine places or wow. something. It might even have been a thousand for every one. I can't remember, but it was very hard to get onto. Mm. Very tough interviewing. It was like two days of interviews with all these kind of, you know, newspaper executives and what have you. But that it was life changing in so many ways because that's where I met Fiona, my partner. Yeah, uh, she was a fellow trainee, and um, yes, yeah, so I became a journalist on local paper training in a porter cabin in Plymouth, which was law, shorthand <laughs> stuff like that, and then uh, local papers, Tavistock Times, 
little paper in the in Devon, mm. West Devon town, Sunday Independent. We were Fiona and I used to joke that we were we were the Truro Bureau, <laughs> um, and then got some shifts on the Mirror, and then started yeah. to freelance in Fleet Street, and then got a job on the Mirror, and away I went. So, where did your first experience of in speech marks the law or the legal system come into this? As a journalist, did you get any scrapes or? Oh yeah, uh, I got sued a few times. That, do you remember that Tory MP Rupert Allison? Gosh, you no. must do if you're in the law because I think he, didn't he get? You I mean check this because he's he used to sue left, right, and centre, and I think he might have become a vexatious litigant. Oh really? I think so. Yeah. He was the spy author Nigel West. Always be suspicious of people who use two names. Uh, but as he was a Tory MP for Torbay, I'm glad everybody's forgotten about him. That's good. I hope he's listening. Uh, and I'm sure he is. He was a, he was an MP called Rupert Allison, and and he and he sued me, um, and I had a um, I won the case. But the judge, Mr. Justice Drake, Morris Drake, I think he was called, dead. Mm. Um, You're safe. Well, no, but he said Say something. He, he said something. I think what it was because what happened was the case. Concerned something I'd written when I was a journalist, but by the time the case came to court, I was working with Tony Blair, so it was quite a high-profile yeah. thing. You know, Tony Blair's press secretary in court over a libel or whatever it mm. was, and the story was complete. The whole thing was just nonsense. His only witness, as I recall, was George Galloway. <laughs> uh, less said about him, the better, as well. But the judge said something pretty unpleasant in his summing up, even though I won the case. And I was, I, I remember feeling an absolute rage. Mm. Um, but I won it. But what was interesting that my, my QC was Charles Gray. Okay, name I'm familiar with. Yeah, and he actually taught me taught me a little tactic, which I've used many, many times since. Give me a pen top. Oh, just the top, there you Yeah, go. so he basically said to me, he said, their only tactic will be to make you lose your temper. Uh, he said, look, they know their case is a load of balls but you know they're gonna they'll, they'll try to make you lose your temper and so you've just got to keep your temper don't let them do it don't whatever they do don't let them write and he said i sometimes find it useful if you think you're going to lose your temper to have a sharp object in the palm of your hand mm. and just every time you feel your temper rising just squeeze it into your hand and you, you hopefully it will calm anyway that the morning of the case my daughter who was then about I mean, she was very very small preschool and or the night before she was having a bath and I was, you know, giving her a bath. And she had this little penguin called Pingu. And, um, but it had a really sharp beak. Yeah. So I took that in my pocket <laughs> the next day. And, and, it, was, and it was really good because he was absolutely right. The strategy mm. was to get me to lose my temper. Mm. And I did have a little penguin in my hand and I just squeezed it. And it did two things. One, it made me think, I'm doing what he told me to do. And he seems like he's a smart guy. Mm. And it also made me think of Grace. And that made me just sort of, you know, Calm down a yeah. bit. So show me the scars on your hands. Like well, stigmata. look at those because I came off my bike a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. And so I've got. <laughs> that's, that, that's your excuse, and you're still sticking there. with that. Still there, yeah. Um, so Actually, I did it once at a select committee inquiry with a paper clip, and I actually cut my hand. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not surprised. Blood dripping off my hands. It's, it takes it one step above a paper cut, which is usually the worst injury <laughs> I suffer, uh, apart from in these podcasts. Um, so. Well, you've, you've taken us there already. Um, the select committee, you moved into number 10, uh, or, or certainly with Tony Blair, um, not a physically lawyer. again, another lawyer. Indeed. So, so uh, there's kind of, there is, a, there is a reason for you being here. Um, 
working with lawyers and his wife, of course, who's been on the podcast before. Has she? Yeah. Um, and again, fascinating. Yeah. Um, but, but what is it about lawyers and politics? Oh, I think that's fairly obvious. I think, I think that, you know, if you think about what politics is about, it's about argument. It's about prosecuting a case. It's about addressing difficult, complicated issues and trying to make them accessible and understood. So I think the legal training is actually, provided you've got genuine political beliefs yeah. and you want to change the world for the better, then I think it's, uh, I think it's a fairly obvious route. Um, and I don't, obviously I don't know anything about Tony as a lawyer because I didn't, I didn't know him then. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, th there was Derry Irvin, mm -hmm. who went on to be Lord Chancellor and mm -hmm. who'd been Tony's pupil master. Charlie Faulkner, yep. who's a very, very good friend of ours. Um, Jack Straw. Yeah. Lawyer. Uh, Alistair Darling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, lots, There's lots, lots of, of them. There's lots of A lot of them have been on here as well. Ken Clark, of course, um, yeah. across, the, across the other side. But mm. um, Well, he's not across the other side. No, he's well, not, not at the he's, moment. He's, he's kind of floating. like I am. Uh, we, we, and, and, well, again, a good time to bring in that we're recording this at a time when there's a, let's say, a state of flux in mm. Parliament. Um, Shit show, it's called. Uh, well, that's been going on for a long time. We need to be more specific. Uh, uh, but but we're, uh, we're in a situation where there's been a vote last night. And um, for Boris Johnson's first uh, opportunity to excel and and struggled, let's say failed, yeah. um, sacked 21, 21 members of his mm. own party uh, and withdrew the whip, and now is about to go into another vote this afternoon mm. uh, or this evening. Uh, what, what, what's what's going on? Uh, do we need a lawyer back at the helm? Well, it's interesting you say that because another lawyer, of course, in my past. Uh, journalistic political life was John Smith ah. Tony's predecessor yeah and I can remember I think I realised he was a lawyer actually John was a QC yeah, yeah. I didn't realise yeah, that yeah 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 absolutely John was a very good lawyer and and, and, and again he was somebody who I was asked uh, a while back to do there was the Hansard you know the parliamentary mm. bible they did a book asking people to pick their favourite ever Commons moment or speech and I actually chose a speech to John Smith, which was when he was doing a debate with John Major. Mm. It became quite famous as a speech. It, was, it, it ended with, he's, he's the man with the non-Midas touch. And it was the week when the Grand National <laughs> didn't start and bits of Yorkshire were falling off into the sea and houses were disappearing. But he did this absolutely brilliant, very funny. And it was, it reminded me of courtroom theatrics and oratory. Mm. So anyway, so when Neil Kinnock was leader of the Labour Party, lots of people used to say to me, because I was on the Daily Mirror mainly, and lots of people would say to me and would say to Neil, you know, Alistair should be doing your press stuff because he understands the media. Did it. And I think Neil always took the view that he had so few friends, supporters in the press, yeah. that to take one of them out of it, Maybe, and also I think Charles Clark, uh, he's, who was like his chief of staff, mm. was head of his office, you know, wasn't sure. And uh, but I remember talking to John Smith about it, and John said something very interesting. He said, mm, "I'm not sure about journalists in politics." He says, "Because the thing about politics is often you have to conceal, and journalism is all about exposure." Yeah, and I thought it's a very interesting observation, but I don't think. I mean, I, I, I went from journalism to politics, mm. but I didn't become a 
politician. I went in as an advisor doing the media, doing strategy and communications, mm. that sort of stuff. I actually don't think journalists make very good politicians in the main. Mm. Uh, I think one of the problems with Boris Johnson and Michael Gove is that actually they care more about the next story yeah. than they do about a long-term vision for the country. Yeah. Um, so, no, I'm not a fan of journalists as prime ministers, especially if they've got blonde hair. What about um, politicians as journalists? Well, you mean you go the other way? I mean, Aisha... Yeah, well, so, so many as, as part of their day job now. Oh, I see. Reporting the media is part of, part of the job. Um, yeah. uh, nearly all of them have got books either out, coming out. Uh, yeah, but I think, I think, no, the printed word is a very important part of what politics is. So again, if I go back to when I was a journalist, you know, Gordon Brown in particular, he was always at me to help him help write stuff. Mm for newspapers, for magazines, speeches. So I don't think that's the same as being a journalist. I think news, you know, so I think a politician having a column in a newspaper to have yet one more platform to put over views and arguments, I think that's a good thing. Mm. Um, so George Osborne would be the sort of extension yeah, well, that, of that. That's, that, I mean, that is interesting because, of course, he's, he doesn't have a background as a journalist at all. So I think that's, uh, that's an odd one in a mm. way. I interviewed him recently for GQ. Mm at his office in the standard offices and it was in, it was interesting to watch him because he did he was strolling around as if to the manner born in terms of you know this is this is now my habitat mm. and sitting on the back bench talking to the night editor and you know writing headlines and in fact the only time he got a bit iffy in the interview is when I said that I you know, I think you should leave headline writing to people who know how to do it. My headlines are very good. <laughs> <laughs> still fragile. Um, and, well, looking at that relationship with uh, both government, uh, parliament uh, and the media. Yeah. But throwing into that now the judiciary yeah. uh, and the legal system generally, mm. it's becoming quite complicated. It's becoming difficult for many people to understand. People are seeing that the courts are interfering. There's the famous headline um, around Brexit. Um, the Supreme Court is of enemies of the state. Enemies of the people. Uh, the people, thank you. And uh, this is this is a becoming a, a bit of a, a battle mm. uh, played out in the media. Well, I thought it was a very interesting moment. You mentioned yesterday's debate. I thought mm. it was a very interesting moment when uh, Boris Johnson said... Um, we, you know, we stand for parliamentary democracy and the rule of law, and mm. a lot of people laughed. Mm. There's something going on today which I find rather disturbing, which is this whole thing about, you know, they're shutting down, there are barriers up everywhere suddenly, and they're shutting down some of the streets. They seem to be shutting down some of the streets around Parliament. Is that right? Um, now, unless there's something specific going on, if it is just because there's been a bit of kind of, you know, regular demonstrating mm. going on, I think that is a bit of a problem. Mm. Um, I think we are in very dangerous times at the moment. And, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it either. I, I, I read a book recently by William Shiro. It's a very famous book written in the, I'm not sure when, 60s, mm. uh, called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. Mm. And what's extraordinary, but when you read about it, and he lived in, he was an American journalist living in Germany at the, during the rise of Hitler. Mm. And... What's extraordinary is how many parallels you see with what's going on now. And one of them is the assault on truth by people in positions of leadership yeah. and the assault on institutions. So enemies of what was terrible about that thing, enemies of the people, 
is as if it was to say, well, why should judges have any say in the way the law is run? Well, that's their job. Yeah. Um, and I'm afraid we are now in this populist Trumpian, and I think Johnson is as bad. I mean, you know, the. I mean, you mentioned the sacking 21 MPs. Yeah. I mean, that is just Ken Clark. <laughs> say what you like about Ken Clark. I've yeah. known him for a very long time. The idea that Ken Clark is not fit to be in the Conservative Party, Nicholas Soames, mm -hmm. Dominic Grieve. I mean, mm -hmm. I worked with Dominic Grieve a lot during the um, the people, you know, because he's a big supporter of the People's Vote yeah. campaign, and I've been working. He's with spoken about it on here. Yeah. Well, I think he's, you know, whatever you say about him, he's a Tory. Yeah. You know, he, he, he looks like a Tory, he walks <laughs> like a Tory, he dresses like a Tory. He's, he's a Tory, right? And he's now been kicked out, not because he believes, as he's believed for some time in not supporting the government's overall strategy on Europe, mm. but because he dared to vote against a new Prime Minister mm. who spent two days in Parliament and hasn't even been elected by the country yet. Yeah. Now, that is dangerous. And I don't know if you saw The Economist last week. They had a very big report on the way that Orban has remade Hungary. Mm. You know, we're in that territory. Mm. And unless people call it out, as it happens... But surely it's for the press to be calling this out. And yeah, the press are part of the problem. This is, this is the issue. And if they're bringing down the, the fact seekers, the truth seekers, exactly. uh, the, the, the judiciary yeah. um, and, and the rule of law, how, how, can we, how can the law rise above it? How can we reach the people? Very hard because, you know, and then the other thing you've got, there was this fascinating story the other day I saw somewhere. It was a judge in, I think it was Shrewsbury. I don't know if you saw this. You should get him on your podcast. He basically was doing a case and he and he and he launched an absolute tirade saying that as a result of all the kind of cuts and everything else you know we're in danger of not being able to run a justice service yeah. there aren't enough police officers we keep having to cancel cases because we don't have the case workers we don't have the you know the people to work in the courts we don't you know he, he, he was he was make, he was really losing it <clears throat> so i think how do you rise above it it's very very difficult um but you have to you know, we all have to do what we can. And I think that, you know, in a in a healthy democracy, which I'm afraid I don't think we have anymore, in a healthy democracy, you would look to the free press mm. to do a lot of this. But the free press are a massive part of the lying mm. about Brexit, of yep. the lying about lots of, diff you know, if, if you don't fit, if a story doesn't fit the preordained prism set by a few tax-dodging oligarchs around the place, then it doesn't get in the newspaper. And so I think this is a massive problem. And that's the other thing, by the way, going back to the 30s, that was a huge part, was the kind of, you know, the, 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 the media, not necessarily clamp, eventually came the clampdowns, mm -hmm. but actually it was the media volunteering to support the extremists. But do you take some responsibility for that in terms of the relationship that the Blair government uh, had with the Murdochs, for example, sort of courting the media in that, in that sense? And has that started off that's where we've got to now? I think, it, I think it's always, there's always been that. You know, you go back to the days of Beaverbrook and uh, Cecil King and mm. all these guys. They've always had that kind of access to power, if you like. I think the difference is that I don't think we ever traded on policy. Yes, we did try to tame them, keep them quiet, be nice to them. Mm. But I'd, other than rhetorically, maybe a little bit on Europe, 
I don't think we tr- uh, traded policy. I think what I'll give you an example where they traded on policy. David Cameron got sort of forced by events to set up the Leveson inquiry, mm. right? The Leveson inquiry happened. I think I was the only person who had to give evidence twice. I gave evidence as a as a government person yeah. and also as a journalist. Yeah. And what's happened since? Absolutely naffle. Mm. Why? Because the politicians have caved in to the media again. Yeah. For a quiet life, uh, and so no, I don't really accept responsibility. I think what we, I think I accept that we were part of the change, and I think that one of the reasons we got a reputation, the reputation that we did, and all this spin thing, or what have you, is I think they ended up hating us. Mm. To be absolutely frank, because I think we were better at what we were doing than they were at the, what they were doing, and we kept ahead of them. Well, you're doing their job for them in many ways. No, I think it was even that. I think we were we reached a view that the only way to govern is to try to govern strategically. Communications is part of that. It's not that big a deal. Whereas I think the problem with Johnson is that I think he is actually governing to a large extent on, you know, what's the next front page story and how do I keep Murdoch on board and Mm. this paper and that Mm. paper. And of course, listen, if you've got the Sun, the Mail, the Express, the Telegraph, on a bad day, the Times, basically as a propaganda machine, it's very hard to give that up. And we never had that. And we are talking about propaganda now. It is propaganda. The, the, the untruths, the sort of, uh, pointing and name-calling, which is coming, unfortunately, from the front bench of politics as well. Well, you've always had name-calling. But what, you, what, you, what I think is different in our politics now, and don't underestimate the impact of Trump on this, Trump, for Trump, it is a strategy. Hmm. For Putin, it's a strategy. There's a book about Putin called Nothing is True, Everything is Possible. And the subtitle is, you know, the way Putin cemented power in modern Russia. If nothing is true, he had an example today at Prime Minister's Questions. Michael Gove was on the television on Sunday (laughs) where he said some food prices will go up. Uh, Somebody in the House of Commons said, to Boris Johnson in the Commons, Michael Gove said on television that food prices will go up. Jeremy Corbyn. And Boris Johnson said, no, he didn't say that. Well, he did. And likewise with um, with Trump. I mean, the, when I realised this was a strategy, it was day one, his first full day in office, he went to the CIA and he did a speech there yeah. and he made a big deal about how all the liars, the fake news people were there because they were saying that there were fewer people at his inauguration than had been at Obama's, which there were, right? Yeah. And I thought, hold on a minute, but there were. Yeah. And he's saying they're not. And then his, his aide, Kellyanne Conway, came up and said, we're going to give you alternative facts. You can't have an alternative fact. You can have an alternative opinion. Mm. And this is a strategy. Yeah. And Johnson's playing exactly the same game. Yeah. And and talking exactly about those Prime Minister's questions as well, it was like um, catchphrase bingo. Uh, the same phrases oh, coming out time and time again regardless of the question. That's what it is. But how much do you think it is Dominic Cummings behind that? How much do you think Boris is actually a bit of a I puppet? I don't really know. I don't know. Um, I think... My, my partner Fiona, because she's in education, she writes a lot about education. So she she wrote a piece the other day about Cummings and Gove when they were at education, mm. and the headline was something like they, you know, the, the the sort of nasty, dirty tricks they used at education. They're now taking doing them on the country. He'll blow up, I think. Um, I mean, you hear these. I don't know how true they were, but these stories last night that he was rampaging around Port Callis yeah. House, shouting at MPs, including Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, yeah. I don't care who you are. Um, 
there's just you know I mean I I, I got a reputation uh, it, it's quite weird for me because I mean I have this reputation now but I somebody said to me the other day you know it's like you, you seem like a pussycat compared to this guy <laughs> um, but it's unsustainable it is unsustainable mm. to have this level of really bad conduct and back to the thing about parallels with the 30s I mean just if you'd have said two weeks ago do you know what's going to happen now <laughs> there's going to be a woman from the treasury called in and Dominic Cummings is going to go through her phone and then he's going to get an armed policeman to take her out of the building and take her security pass off her come about Britain yeah and and now she's being encouraged by I think um, well various politicians around her to bring a case against him. I think, he sh- I think she should. And, well, and potentially against well, the government. I think she should. And also, this, this other thing, there's, there's a serious political point here as well, because one of my arguments against Brexit is that the reason, this Alistair at the late, one of my arguments about Brexit is that they want to turn Britain into a very low tax, no regulation, yep. anti-welfare state. Well, you know, what employment rights does that woman have? Yeah. Well, well. If we're going the way of, uh, of what you would presume a Tory government wants to go, absolutely. very few. Absolutely. Um, and as soon as they were in, I'm, <coughs> I'm an employment lawyer, so this right. is this is up my up my street. But um, Labour, of course, would take that back. You would expect, or would you? Um, yeah, but the, there's the no is, talk you, at the moment about no, but, policy. Well, there's I mean, outside that, of Brexit. Well, exactly. That's because Brexit is just destroying the whole of politics. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, and. I mean, well, we can talk about Brexit if you want, but it's like, I, I think... I've tried to avoid it. I thought well, we did well the worst. I, I just think it's the worst thing that's happened in our lifetime. Yep. And it's happened, as you say, at the time when you've got this level mm. of polarised mm. debate where people don't really want to engage in a factual argument. And, and today's Prime Minister questions was, was, a, was a very good case in point where mm-hmm. I thought Corbyn was quite good today and I thought he had some very sensible, solid questions he got zero answers to any of them he got a load of abuse yeah yeah um i'm going to move us on because we're running out of time but do you have any advice for the people listening lawyers mostly listening um about dealing with the press dealing with pr Uh, i guess for most of them they don't need it because you know most lawyers presumably operate in a world where the media not necessarily going to become part of their their, their, their orbit but I think those that do um, it's very hard to without knowing kind of specific situations mm. but the one thing I'd say is I think people worry about it too much um, I think it, if if you're suddenly at the centre of a kind of media situation it's like everything in life it's probably not as bad as it feels when it feels bad and it's probably not as good as it feels when it feels good Yeah. Um, I think in terms of you know, I think the media is an important player in terms of debates. Uh, whether they influence the day-to-day working of lawyers' work, I don't know. Mm. I think there is much... I'll tell you what's coming here, I think. I, obviously, I mean, I, I, I have a relationship with a, a PR firm, Portland, mm. and the, they actually do quite a work, lot of work now with involving legal cases where maybe we are getting more to that sort of American situation where the PR handling around a legal case maybe does become mm. more important. I don't know. Um, and also the fact that London now does seem to have become, you know, you get a lot more kind of international cases being mm. brought here yeah. because of the reputation of our courts as being, you know, g- generally good. Um, so that the whole PR aspect around mm. 
these big high profile cases i think in that uh, my, my my general advice would be um don't think about it unless you have to and if you have to think about it carefully from the perspective of how is this going to help me mm. um and don't get drawn too much into the agenda that they want to set for you mm. i think i think that's great advice um and you've written a book called Winners. I have. Of which there were, I think, only two lawyers in there. Um, oh. As in Tony Blair and I think Barack Obama. Yeah. I bet there were more than that. But it wasn't a book about lawyers. No, it was a book about winners. Uh, but, but also, I, I was guess... Was Jonathan Assumption in there? I'm not sure he was. No, I okay. The front, I've written about Jonathan cover. Assumption elsewhere because he was my lawyer in the Hutton Inquiry. Mm. Um, listened to his Reith lectures recently. Yes. Thoroughly enjoyed, especially the first one. Very, very clever man. Yeah. Uh, very, I'll tell you, very interesting. Divisive, though, do you think? Yeah, possibly. Um, but I think what was it, what I found really interesting about him, because, I mean, the Hutton Inquiry was, without doubt, the, the events surrounding that, uh, David Kelly's suicide, the build-up of the Iraq war, me, I was trying to leave the job anyway, and then into this, we have this public inquiry, mm. and I get this email out of the blue, from uh, the, the inquiry, mm. and it was a PS. Uh, I, I can think I can remember it word for word. Lord Hutton has noted in the national press that you keep a written diary. He would like to see this diary insofar as it relates to the matters under his investigation. Oh my God! Wow! Uh, it really was like one of those moments where I, 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 I sort of I just couldn't quite believe mm. that was happening. And anyway, at this stage, I didn't even have a lawyer, and we were staying near a friend of, of ours, Ian Kennedy, yep. who was a lawyer yep. and uh, did the Bristol Babies Inquiry and pets for passports, passports for pets mm. and all that, and IPSA, the MP's expenses. And he said to me, he said, you've got to get your own lawyer. And I said, well, why? I mean, I'm part of the government. This is a government inquiry. He said, yes, but you just don't know what's going to happen. What happens yeah. if it becomes you against Jeff Who? Well, I, I said, it won't. He said, well, you don't know. It might. So I got in touch with the, the cabinet office and said, look, I'm being very strongly advised. I should have my own lawyer. And da, 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 da. Anyway, I ended up having Jonathan Sumption. <laughs> Amazing. He went on to sort of be a supreme, one of the first Supreme Court judges. And Charlie Faulkner... Lord Chancellor, yep. friend of mine, he said, "Listen, don't get you you assumption. Honestly, it's not going to work. You really Water shouldn't do it. You're not. It's not going to. The chemistry is going to be awful." Um, but by then, I'd already arranged. He was on his way to where we were staying in France, and um, <laughs> and we got on really, really well. Well, we got on really, really well, and. I remember it was helpful in a way because it was a very, very difficult period. I mean, ha but trying to be on a holiday with your family mm. and you've got this stuff mm. going on and I, I'm having to go back to give evidence and, you know, it's massive in the media and they're all trying to find out where we're staying mm. and all this stuff. And I took a judgment. You just make judgments sometimes in life, don't you? And I took a judgment that I was going to trust this guy. I was going to trust his judgment. People told me he was clever. Mm. Uh, anyway, he, and he, he was very good because he arrived... Uh, he came. He'd been on the train for hours, and he said, "He said, look, I've read everything I can in the short time I've had, mm. um, and it seems to me that the, the the central question, as far as you're concerned, is, you know, did you do anything that was dishonest? And and I cannot see any evidence that you have, and that's the basis on which I I want to proceed. And so that sort of made me feel, okay, right, 
you know, he's obviously, he's thought about it and he's thinking it through. And then we had to decide what to do about the diaries. Yeah. And he said that, I said, look, you know, am I going to be expected to kind of go through my diaries, which are handwritten, and transcribe them and hand it all over and stuff about my family? He said, no, 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 he's not going to be interested in that. He said, he's going to want anything, as he says, that's specific. And I said, but, you know, am I the only person being asked about this? And meanwhile, Tony Blair's phoning me saying, you know, why are you the only person who's been asked for this? And does Greg Dyke keep a diary? Does (laughs) Andrew Gilligan keep a diary? You know, uh, uh, and, and so... And I said, made this point to Jonathan Sumption. I said, well, I, he said, I do understand. He's the prime minister. I can understand this. is very irritating and he's getting a bit agitated about it. I do understand that. <laughs> However, he is the prime minister who has asked the judge to conduct an inquiry and he said he will cooperate with this inquiry in full. <laughs> and therefore, that means if the judge asks for your diary, you have no choice. And I just said, OK, I'll go with that. I then said, you know, but what's the process? He said, well, I think I need to be able to say to the judge that even if he doesn't see everything in your diary Mm. that I do so I had to literally sit there and read my diary to him over quite a long period of time for you know and it was over an extended period of time absolutely and we sat there and we marked on the manuscript we marked the bits that he said would have to go to Mm. the judge Mm. Um, and I don't mind saying this because you know uh, but the, 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 the was a, there was one point at which I just literally burst down I broke down in tears mm. uh, and I, I don't know it was just like why is this happening to me that yeah. I'm having to do this um, and he's, and, and something, he was very nice he just said I understand why this is so difficult you're sitting here with a complete stranger you're having to go through all this stuff mm. but you know I'm afraid that's just the, that's where we are right now and what was the other thing that was really interesting about him because he had a very quirky manner. And, you know, the, he wasn't televised, was it? I don't think it was televised. The Aretha Lectures, no, I don't think. No, 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 oh, the, 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 the Hudson Inquiry. Levison sure. was televised. Yeah, I'm not sure it was. Um, but anyway, because of his quirky manner, he wasn't getting the sort of good write-ups that the other ju- the other lawyers were getting, right? Mm. And, and of course, obviously, because the, the media was so sort of determined to gun for us, anything that came out that was bad for us was front page news and yeah. led the news and anything that was sort of in our favour it was kind of quietly buried and I kept saying to him look you can't tell me this judge is not going to get influenced by this you know surely we've got to think a little bit about the kind of PR if you like Yeah. and he said look your job is very different to mine your job is about the public it's about politics I have only there's only one person in the world that I care about in this case that is Lord Hutton I don't care about anybody else it is what he thinks that matters. So anything I say, it's being addressed to him. Mm. What's in the papers, we, it's nothing to do. And he was just very, very clear about that. Yeah, and do you know what? And it was very helpful. That's also the best advice you could give to lawyers, generally, uh, particularly those coming through right now. Well, um, I think, for example, I, think, I can't remember his name, but one of the, what was his name? I think he, I think he represented the BBC and Gilligan and he came out with all these wonderful flowery sound bites, and yep. you know he was playing to the gallery, and yep. and I remember Sumption saying, you know, "That's not going. He's not going to like that." Yeah. Well, sometimes it works. Sometimes yeah, it works. And sometimes it, people yeah. just can't help themselves. Um, I'm conscious that you've still got my pen in your ha- uh, sorry, my pent up in your hands, which hopefully mean, doesn't mean that you're in pain <laughs> and, no, no, and, no, and angry. Yeah. Um, uh, final question uh, for today, which is: lawyers, politicians, journalists. 
Who do you trust the most? Well, I trust those people that I trust. So uh, I think as a breed, I think in the main, I'd probably put journalists last. Um, my experience of lawyers has been broadly good. Mm. You know, for example, I mentioned Charles Gray. Yeah. You know, I, I never lost a, a case in court as a journalist. I, mean, I lost one, I think, which was I was part of a case that we lost. Mm. Um, the I've got very good lawyers. And Fiona, my partner's brother, Gavin Miller. Oh yes. You see, he's a he, he's a he's some he's one of my general go-to people if I've got a problem in life because I just think he's got a brilliant analytical mind Charlie Fortner I mentioned um, so yeah lawyers pretty good and, and politicians actually I think in the main get a very, I think they get a very bad press mm. way 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 worse than they deserve mm. um, but that being said we do have a Prime Minister now who's a liar and a charlatan <laughs> and on another note, uh, well, certainly at the time of recording. Uh, thank you very much, Asda. That's thank been you. fantastic. And uh, best of luck. Um, and uh, with your diaries, hopefully it wasn't a wasted experience going through them with Lord Sumption. <laughs> the Hearing. As ever, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Join us again and uh, why not give us a rating or subscribe? That way you'll get an alert every time we release a new episode. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.